Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome back another previous guest from the podcast season. Um, his name is Sean Morrison. He's no stranger to uh, to listeners of this podcast and no stranger to the people who are in the financial markets community in South Africa. Sean is a technical analyst at IG Markets in South Africa, and obviously IG are our podcast sponsors. Uh, so it's it's great to have Sean Murison with us. Sean, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Goth. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. So, Sean, we're going to do something a little bit different this week for the podcast, and that is actually you and I are going to talk about some charts because obviously both of us are technical analysts and we look at these things with a very technical mindset. Uh, I've always been a little bit reluctant to talk technicals uh, and talk charts on this podcast because it's always something I figure you need to have visuals to be able to explain technical analysis and to illustrate what you're seeing. But what I'll try and do here is include the charts that we discuss in the show notes, if it's possible to do that. And then the listeners to the podcast can actually take a look at the charts whilst you and I are talking through them. So we've got a list of charts we're going to go through. There's probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 charts that we've got on the list here that are that are relatively big picture charts, fairly macro uh, charts that you and I are going to talk about and go through them and kind of compare notes, I guess, to technical analysts having a conversation with one another, talking about levels in the markets and where we see things potentially going. So with that, you know, the first chart that we've got on our list is the, is the S&P 500. Um, obviously, the most closely watched equity index in the world, uh, the US market. So tell me what you're seeing there, Sean, and then we'll, we'll sort of I guess compare notes. Okay, great. Um, yeah, it's a bit of an ambiguous picture, I think, on on S and P five hundred. So we know that we've had a steep correction from from the highs. I think that correction was somewhere about fifteen percent, mm-hmm. um, and that correction was deep enough to take us through. If you look at a daily chart, which um, I think some of your charts are weekly, um, I probably look at daily charts um, for the short term trading uh, stuff, but. Um, We've seen a you know break of that 200-day simple moving average, and um, and then we've had a return back to that level. So it's, it's a bit of a like I say an ambiguous picture. So that long-term trend for me um, on the S&P 500 um, has been broken. So the uptrend um, on the daily chart is broken. Um, I'm reluctant to say that that trend is down. 
And um, the reason I say is because we've returned to that, that moving average and over the short to medium term, what we've seen is a bit of a bullish uh, price reversal. So on that daily chart, I've got, um, I had a little downward trend line, just tracking that, that, that move lower, that correction within the market. And just before we broke above that level, we had this double bottom type shape, um, you know, and that's a suggestion that, you know, we stopped making lower lows and now we're starting to make higher highs again. Um, and those are the building blocks of a short to medium term uptrend uh, in this context. So, um, I, I, you know, my view on, on the S&P 500 right now is that long term trend has been broken, an uptrend, um, but we're not in a downtrend as of yet. Um, if I have to pick a bias to trades on that, I'm looking at a long bias to trades. And that's uh, looking, you know, with the short to medium term trends. And I think uh, for now, um, until we start breaking those lows again, I'm assuming that the long term trend for the S&P right now um, is a broad sideways um, consolidation. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I can't obviously disagree with any of what you're saying there because that's all the fact. Um, just one thing to add that I would say is that up until what two weeks ago, every man and his dog was going on about this head and shoulders pattern that was forming on the S&P 500 with the neckline of the pattern at 4,300. And obviously it did break to the downside. It traded down to about 4150, I think. So validated that head and shoulders pattern briefly. But then, as you've said, it's managed to push back up. Um, and on my weekly chart show, we had quite a big bullish reversal up last week. And this week's been strong again. So that then brings into question the possibility that that's a failed head and shoulders pattern. And failed head and shoulders often are actually deemed to be quite bullish or they're deemed to be continuation patterns. Um, that can then basically go back and retest the highs, which if that were to be the case here, that would be 4,800 on the S&P 500. So I, I'm like you, I'm, I think it's a bit ambiguous. Um, and I think what you say is right. It's going sideways. There's not really a clear trend intact at the moment. And I guess that also talks to what we're seeing from a fundamental perspective where we've got a lot of uh, factors pulling in different directions. I, mean, I, I would have instinctively thought the fundamentals broadly are, are pulling us, should be pulling us lower, but, you know, price is king and you've got to trade the price. Um, but when I think about it, you know, markets are, we, we, we've got high inflation, we're likely to see a growth slowdown. Profit margins will surely be under pressure at companies uh, going forward for the rest of this year, given the high input uh, costs into, into everything, really, energy, uh, etc. So, yeah, and, and of course, so just to add to that, I mean, yeah, we're in a stage where we're starting to tighten monetary policy globally. Yes, uh, which is obviously, you know, more in favour of bond markets than equity markets. But yeah. we are at the beginning stages of that monetary tightening. Um, yeah. Uh, so you yeah. know, I agree. Like the the catalysts there um, create that sort of negative um, bias you know, in our mind. But when we're trading, we're looking and we're seeing what is actually happening. We're using that market and the price data just to really summarize all those, you know, market forces that are out there. Yeah. And um, at the moment it's, you know, it's a broad range with a short, you know, in the short to medium term with a slight bullish bias. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's it. I guess if we have to summarize this chart and move on to the next one, then say, the trend is kind of sideways for the S&P 500 at the moment. It's no longer bullish, but it's not necessarily bearish either. It's kind of sideways, choppy, and maybe one needs to almost be looking at the extremes to try and fade the extremes in this sideways, choppy mess that we find ourselves in at the moment on, on that basis. Um, 
I've included another chart as well of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which we can maybe touch on that very briefly, Sean. But that, I think, likewise, is just talking about a sideways market. I mean, I, I saw a break below 34,000 on the Dow as being a signal of a, of a top being in place. But now we've managed to recover that 34,000 level. So, again, I guess a bit ambiguous on that one. Yes, and I think, I think um, you know, obviously, very similar picture to what we're seeing on the S&P. Um, I, I think this one's, you know, we've had a false break of, of, of a low. We've had a price starting to whipsaw through that 200-day simple moving average. Um, but the fact that we rebounded so quickly and, you know, the break of those levels hasn't held just shows that we've moved into, you know, in a broad consolidation. And maybe that just means, like you said, on the S&P, you know, fading the extremes and, and looking to trade between the levels as we reach those levels. Um, mm. and at the moment now, if you do, you know, we've reversed off those lows. There's been a bit of an opportunity, you know, from that failed breakout. We, but we're trading maybe towards the middle of that range um, on the Dow. Um, so if you're not in it already, you know, it might be a bit difficult to chase it. But um, certainly once we start getting towards the higher end of that shorting opportunity and, you know, retrace back down towards those support levels, Maybe maybe a long opportunity. Yeah, sure. And then let's take a look at the Nasdaq. I've got the Nasdaq 100 here. Um, I know some people look at the Nasdaq Composite, but the sh- charts will basically show the same shape. Um, and what's interesting here is that on a relative basis, it's actually, it actually seems to be underperforming the S and P 500 and the Dow, which kind of goes along the lines of the fact that we've seen a bit of a shift away from the growth areas of the market, more in favour of value. And of course, the NASDAQ is where one finds all the growth typically. So it kind of makes sense. But from a technical perspective, this NASDAQ chart to me looks, if we're going to say more bearish than, I don't know if we can call it bearish, but certainly less bullish uh, than, the, than the Dow or the S&P 500. Would, would you go along with that line of thinking, Sean? Yeah. So uh, looking at that NASDAQ um, the, uh, the initial downside, you know, when we've had this, this sort of, we'll call it a market shock, uh, more pronounced on the NASDAQ than what we saw on the S&P. Um, I'd also argue that the rebounds come a little bit quicker than what we've seen on, on the S&P 500 as well. Uh, but we still have a little bit more distance to travel before we get back to that 200-day uh, simple moving average. But um, similar but not quite the same, I think, um, uh, you know, the NASDAQ seems to be exaggerating the moves on the downside, but it's also exaggerating moves on the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, that correction to me also ended with, a, you know, a, um, a bullish uh, price reversal. I think that break of support was a little bit more extreme. And I was probably, you know, uh, more enticed by the possibility of a new downtrend on, on the tech uh, before we started seeing what, what I have on my charts on the daily chart is what we call it, you know, a falling wedge type formation. Mm-hmm. Which in the context, you know, it's, uh, it shows that, that, you know, the momentum to the downside starts to slow and there's a suggestion of a short-term uh, reversal uh, in this context, which has manifested. I'm um, still a little bit reluctant to, to get too long on the NASDAQ right now, you know, uh, in isolation, you know, uh, naked on that, on that particular, I think, but because um, the levels aren't quite as clear to me Yeah. Um, on, on that. To me, the, the, the big level when I sort of, I guess if I have to say what's the dominant feature or dominant level on the chart, right now I'm seeing it at about 15,000 on the NASDAQ um, as a broad level. And if we saw that level hold now as resistance, I'd be, I guess, a bit cautious on the NASDAQ. 
Yeah, we've had a straight line rebound uh, from that pattern. So it's been an aggressive rebound. Uh, you know, for, you know, we had that correction, or well, correction was deep enough for a correction to say that long-term trend was broken, as we saw with the other US indices. Mm. That rebound has been, you know, quite a straight line. And I agree with you on those levels. And and to me, on the daily chart, that kind of correlates more or less with what we see as the 200-day simple moving average. You know. Um, and, you know, if, if we spend some time below that, and I've got it, you know, just slightly, slightly ahead of you, I think you said 15,000, I'm somewhere between 15,000, 15,250 yeah. um, on, on, on the, the NASDAQ. Yeah, okay. So interesting area to watch and see whether where the resistance shows up at that level in the weeks ahead. And then the last of the major US equity indices, well, actually the second last, we're going to talk about a relative chart in a moment. Um, in fact, while we add it, let's talk about this relative chart. Now, this is now the, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, just a relative chart of the two. And what's sure. interesting to note is that over the entire course of this bull market from 2009, the NASDAQ has been outperforming the S&P 500 quite clearly. And I guess that talks to a bull, a bull market environment. You're going to find that your growth stocks typically outperform the value stocks during a bull market environment. And that's exactly what we've had over the last 13 years since 2009. Um, that trend is very clear to see. But uh, and, and the way you construct a relative performance chart is you if you take one and divide it by the other. So in, in this case, what I'm looking at here is actually a NASDAQ divided by S&P 500 to get a, a value, and then you plot those values. Um, the, the, the level is basically three, 3.00 or there and thereabouts is where your, your NASDAQ value divided by your S&P 500 value uh, comes in as a long-term relative uptrend, the way I'm seeing it. But it is interesting to note that it started to make lower highs uh, and some lower lows actually as well on that relative chart. So to my mind, that also sort of says, just be wary uh, that the growth stocks, that, that that's long period of outperformance, you know, whilst it's still intact, it maybe is getting a bit tired at the at the moment. I don't know if you make the same kind of conclusions there, Sean. Um, uh, similar, but not quite the same, I think. Uh, so uh, to me, you know, look at the chart because uh, Garth, obviously you sent the chart to me earlier on of, of this relative strength between the two. I have my own version of the chart and I'll elaborate on that as well. Mm. So yes, um, there is a short-term underperformance of the NASDAQ against the S&P. Um, the long-term uh, trend has been for the NASDAQ to outperform the S&P. Now, what I'd say when I look at, you know, that weekly chart and that is that in the very short term, you know, maybe the NASDAQ got a little bit ahead of itself. Uh, we saw, you know, those growth stocks, you know, carrying very rich valuations, trading a little bit, uh, maybe getting a little bit ahead of themselves. And now what we've seen is a normalization of that trend, a bit of a correction of that trend where we've seen, you know, uh, those growth stocks and those, you know, those um, sort of rich valuation uh, tech stocks start to correct. Uh, but I'd say that that, that long-term trend is, is still intact, um, despite the short-term correction. And if you look at it, you know, on, on a daily chart, I've, I've got a similar thing here. Um, we add like a 200-day simple moving average as a type of mean. And mm. I think there's actually a, maybe even a short-term trading opportunity, short to medium-term trading opportunity where... Um, we know this S&P, you know, a lot of the stocks in the S&P, obviously NASDAQ stocks, but obviously yeah. S&P being a broader representation of, of, of uh, US economy. 
um, 500 stocks as opposed to the 100 stocks. And I think maybe, you know, in the short to medium term, maybe even an opportunity to look at a peer trade type opportunity where you look at, you know, um, NASDAQ on the long side uh, against a, a short position on the S&P. And I, okay. I, I just want to clarify, that's not saying that I think you should be short the S&P and think it's going down or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just long on, the, on, on NASDAQ. It's, it's about the relationship between those two securities um, and expecting that relationship to revert back to, to what is normal. Um, right. I think there could be, you know, you know, um, uh, there's a could be a little bit on offer there in terms of a peer trade between yeah. those two stocks. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Right. And that, yeah. And, and obviously that's that's indiscriminate of whether you know how these indices both go up or down or continue to move sideways. It's the relationship between the two. It's not a naked view of you know, um, the direction of each of those indices. Yeah, that's important to make that distinction. And for listeners, I mean, if you're wanting to trade it as a pair trade, and one of the beauties of these these pair trades is that if if the market were to absolutely crash for whatever reason, um, you're short and you're long and they're offsetting. So you're really just playing the relative of the one against the other. So it, there is a sort of an element of um, protection, I guess, in that strategy in the sense that you're not – directionally skewed one way or the other you're you're playing the relative between the two uh, between the two securities as you said uh, let's have a look at the last one then Sean this is the Russell 2000 and uh, the Russell 2000 is the sort of the, more the small or mid cap area of the US markets and I mean it's not small or mid cap in this in the way that we know it in South Africa where a lot of those small and mid cap companies are really quite small in in the US you know these are still pretty big businesses by, by, by relative standards, um, but they fall into the Russell 2000. In other words, they're not part of the S&P 500. They're, not, they're, they're the, effectively the 2000 small list companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and what's interesting to note for me here is, and, and we're looking at the chart of the, um, the, the ETF, the iShares Russell 2000 ETF. The share code there is IWM. Um, this is, is something I see very closely watched by most a lot of strategists in the US, and I certainly watch it myself. Uh, but here's quite an interesting setup. And this chart, to me, does look like it made a pretty meaningful top during 2021, and it's broken to the downside. And the, the, the level that I'm watching is $210 per share on the IWM. And whilst it's below that level, that to me, sort of that, that 210 now looks like very, very stiff resistance for this market to try and break above, Sean. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Yeah, so when you start looking at, um, obviously in uncertain times and heightened market, uh, market volatility, you do you know see that these you know, mid to smaller cap shares are less in favor. You know, they, they might have exaggerated gains on the upside, but they'll exaggerate gains on the downside. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what you can, but, uh, and this is not the situation, that's why I'd, I'd be a little bit more sort of apprehensive around um, this chart um, and, and the Russell 2000, because what, what we have here is what I, you know, I think what we call reverse polarity. Um, <laughs> quite, quite, you know, where we've had this clear line of support, that line in the sand that you're talking about, uh, about that 210 mark, 
and then we've had a break of that support and now that support is act, you know is acting as resistance and when you see the other indices you know and global indices not just the us indices even european indices rebounding quite sharply uh this index has been a little bit more reluctant and you know in in terms of sort of market crisis market volatility market uncertainty uh, you do get that sort of you know uh, you know appetite for 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 the smaller stocks does diminish a little bit and you do see you know that the liquidity within those markets drive up a little bit more yeah. so um it's one that i'd be a little bit more apprehensive of at, at this point in time yeah like, likewise likewise all right let's move away from the us uh, and move across the pond to some of the european markets um we're going to just quick take a look at the dax and then we're also going to look at the cac which is the french market but talking about the dax first uh, i think that's quite a popular index for south africans to trade largely because it's on the same time zone as south africa so it's quite a nice index to trade if you're wanting to trade something offshore that runs on the same time frame as South Africa does. Um, the DAX, of course, is the German market. And, uh, and and this, to me, made a very meaningful break to the downside earlier this month, in February, in fact, when it broke down below 15,000 on the DAX. I mean, that, to me, was a hell of a big break. And it looks like it fell off, you know, like a ball that rolls along the edge of a table and falls off the edge of the table, Sean. Um, that breakdown <laughs> below 15,000 on the DAX is pretty, pretty significant, right? Uh, yeah, agreed. Um, I think I didn't want to believe it. So my level was a little bit lower, about 14,800. So I think I was giving <laughs> it a little bit more um, leeway on that. But certainly, you know, that, that was a clear break. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, European markets closer to, you know, geopolitical tensions and, and well, risk and war, essentially, that's going on. Um, I think it's hard to say that this is not a downtrend that is in place for European indices. And, you know, obviously, Germany being the largest economy in, in Europe, we've had a very steep break, you know, daylight, very, you know, a lot of daylight between the price and the moving average and the price being obviously trading a, uh, that two, well below that 200 day simple moving average. Mm. We have had a sharp rebound, but I'd even say now that uh, that rebounds moved that, that index into overbought territory. And again, that situation, we're talking about that reverse polarity, those levels of what we're supporting are considered at resistance. And so for me, um, uh, I can't look at a, a long bias on on the DAX right now up until at such stages we start trading above. And I'm giving it a little bit more, uh, waiting for a bit more confirmation on the upside. We need to get above that 15,050 uh, a mark for me before I start looking at the long side again to trades on that. Um, yeah. And until we see that, you know, any types of bearish reversals around these resistance levels uh, could be possible shorting opportunities. Yeah, spot on. That's that's exactly how I'm seeing it. And I'm kind of sitting and watching and waiting for the entry on the short side there because I think it could have another leg to the downside soon. And then the CAC, uh, the French market, the CAC 40 is, uh, is, is a similar sort of shape, I guess, not quite as clean as the DAX, but I mean, the, the CAC looks to me like it's broken, it's uptrend and it's broken below some pretty important lateral support, which was at about 6,700 on that index. And also a, a pretty much a waterfall move to the downside over the last few weeks. Yeah, so uh, yeah, exactly like that. It's um, mimicking what we see on, on the DAX, uh, the DAX 40. Uh, sharp break, a uh, lot of daylight between the price and the moving average. This is the first rebound from oversold territory we've seen since that break. Um, I can't unfortunately call that a consolidation at this point in time. 
Um, we can say though that the criteria is sort of, you know, start looking at changing the bias from, from short to long um, is a lot closer. I think we're sitting at about 6,600, you know, the time we're recording this podcast. Yeah. Um, and if we look at, you know, um, you know, to me, somewhere between, you know, 6,655, I'd like to see a break of that, to be long again on this, right? Which mm-hmm. I won't be until we see at least a break of that 6,750 mark. And even then, I'd like to see a strong break of that, and then just the first pullback, and 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 see that 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 move is sustained before before changing the bias um, on on how we're trading the the CAC. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's move on to currencies now. Uh, we're going to have a look at the euro versus the dollar, and we're going to look at the US dollar index here. Uh, the, the, let's look at the US dollar index first of all. Uh, this is, of course, it's an index that tracks the US dollar against a basket of other developed market currencies. And I think the, in this, the, the currencies that make up this index are it's the dollar versus the euro, which is the biggest weighting in it. And then it's the pound, the yen, the Swiss franc, the Canadian dollar, and I think the Swedish krona. So those are the six, the six developed market currencies that, are, that comprise the US dollar index. Um, and, the, and the index really is, a, is kind of a representation of how the dollar is performing against the rest of the world in a in a developed market context and there's always such divided opinions i think out there on whether the dollar should be going stronger or weaker but i mean we're looking at charts here so that these are the facts and the facts that lie i mean that chart in the near term for the us dollar index looks fairly bullish to me sean yeah so i've got long-term trend clearly up uh, for, for the dollar index, dollar basket. Uh, we label it double, uh, dollar basket on our platform. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a bit of an exponential move up. Uh, and I'm gonna, in the very short term, maybe even a bit of a consolidation. But it's a, it's a sideways consolidation after an aggressive move up. And so to me, that's a suggestion of possible continuation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I'd look at that, that dollar, dollar index right now is that I don't think it's at a level where I'd buy it right now. Um, but there's a few points where I would consider, and that's if we do see, you know, the price retrace a little bit and finding support somewhere between 97.4 or 97.7, I'd look for a bullish reverse around there for, for long entry. Uh, we can even retrace even, you know, even further, all the way back down to 96.30 even, uh, and I'd still be looking for, you know, a bullish reversal to get long um, mm-hmm. because I think the major lows there are still, you know, all the way down at about 95 uh, before yes. we could even start thinking about changing that bias to how we'd be looking at trading uh, that dollar basket. And on yeah. the, you know, the alternative side, we, we talk about keeping a long bias to trades. I'm talking about you know, pullbacks towards uh, levels that I'd be interested in. But you know, if we do have a break above 99.45, you know, it's very close to 100 and you know, those yeah. round numbers. But you yeah. know, even the upside breakout, I'd also be considering uh, long on the dollar index right now. Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. You know, you know, just just to so just to sorry to interrupt, uh, Goth, but I just uh, you know when we talk about you know the dollar, you know we talk about the technicals, but obviously fundamentally you know the dollar is you know it's the US you know they're they're ahead of the curve in terms of you know tightening monetary policy relative to most of the you know the comparatives that that pulled up that basket. So yeah. it does make sense fundamentally, and I think good technicals do reflect. Uh, what's happening fundamentally in the market? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you're you're right. There, slightly ahead of the the, the rest of the developed or well, the, the central banks in terms of hiking interest rates. But the other aspect, of course, is that the dollar is still deemed to be a safe haven asset in times of 
turmoil. So you know, while we're in a world where yeah. there's a lot of geopolitical tension occupying the headlines at the moment, um, of course, yeah, that, the, that, that is that, also that supportive. So just on that point, that's why you've seen like a few, a few of the times where the usual inverse correlation between the dollar and gold hasn't been in place. And, and, and exactly like you said, it's safe effort demand. We've seen gold rising and dollar rising sometimes at the same time. Uh, and I think that's a reflection of that. You know, obviously the risk in the market and the safe haven appeal. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Then uh, euro versus the dollar. So obviously I said that the, this currency pair makes up the biggest weighting in the US dollar index. So when you look at the euro dollar chart, it's almost like uh, the, the dollar index chart that's just been inverted. Uh, and what I'm seeing there is quite a weakening bias for the euro and, and consequently a stronger bias for the dollar. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, uh, ironically, your chart, you, you must be, must be either, you know, uh, but the full seldom defo or great minds think alike. But um, yeah, I think the level there to watch uh, on the downside for the euro dollar is about 1.08, which I've yeah. got on my chart. So yeah. it correlates on your weekly chart as well. Yeah, that's it. So 1.08 is the low that we saw now in the beginning of March. Um, and I've got another level below that at 1.07, which is actually the, the lows that we saw during the pandemic in March of 2020. And I kind of think that's another level that if, if 108 was to go, then probably 107 could be in sight potentially in, in an extreme environment as well. But broadly speaking, I guess we're on the same page there. Euro's weakening, dollar's strengthening. And you want to probably be looking for opportunities to buy the dollar and short the euro based on this chart. Yeah. And then our own currency, the rand, the rand versus the dollar. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable how strong the rand has been lately. And the funny thing, I was just looking at the, the notes that I sent you on an email before we did this podcast. And I sent this to you only yesterday. And the rand was looking like it was beginning to break below 15 to the dollar. And I said in the notes, you know, all oh, I see people are now calling it down to 14.50. You know, do you think it can get there? <laughs> and of course, yeah, we sit and it's, it is, it's been below 14.50 already this morning following yesterday's interest rate hike in, in South Africa. Um, I mean, this RAND is remarkably strong. And I know that a lot of listeners often get, I get you know, confused in the thing, but how, how is it that the RAND is so strong? Because, you know, economically, South Africa is struggling and people, I think, get you know, caught up in all the corruption and the nonsense that happens at a government level. And they can't understand how you then you know, bring that back to Iran that is so strong, but it's really not about any of those things. It's all about flows, isn't it, Sean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, I think the Iran's probably strengthened more than, well, certainly more than I thought it would initially. Um, but there's a trend here that is in play. You know, we talked earlier on about the dollar being, you know, strengthening against, you know, the euro and against that that basket of currencies, you know, very pronounced against things like the Japanese yen. But where you are seeing, you know, the dollar actually underperforming is for currencies that are linked to commodity prices and that. So uh, the dollar has been underperforming, you know, over the short to medium term in particular against things like the Mexican peso, uh, the Canadian dollar, Brazilian lira, uh, and Aussie dollar. Mm. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've, we've recently had our, you know, uh, a bit more of a hawkish sort of stance from, from our South African Reserve Bank. Um, so commodity prices, you know, we know the precious metals in particular, and that obviously very conducive to, you know, for our exports. Um, helping helping the RAND, 
uh, even to the point where we've seen, you know, an upward revision towards GDP, and you know, that's uh, still not enough, I think. <laughs> I talk about 2%, 2% growth in 2022. I don't think that's going to solve all our problems. We still, yeah. you know, the economy is still considerably smaller than it was pre-pandemic. Um, but yeah, uh, at a positive, um, positive for the RAND at this point in time. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've broken below that 200-day simple moving average on the dollar czar, you know, implying RAND strength, the dollar weakness, uh, moved below. Um, I had I had a level here at uh, 1465, and I was actually, to be honest, I was still looking for you know bullish reversal there to get long. I think there's enough risk catalysts in play to sit there, but um, that's broken, and so now you know the levels that I'm looking at below that next level, I've got chance about 1414. I saw it 1440 against the US dollar, yeah. uh, and if we get through that, then possibly even 1405. Uh, yeah. We take each level as it comes, rather than you know predicting too far far enough. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it certainly seems like it's got um, some bullish momentum behind it. Another factor that you didn't mention there in terms of the RAND, what's driving it stronger is is also seems there's a lot of switching uh, and global asset allocation switching from um, out of Russia, obviously, because Russia has become uninvestable in an, in an emerging markets context. Um, and I think a lot of that money looks as if it's making its way into other emerging market destinations. And for the first time in a long time, I've been seeing every day on the broker's notes that I get from some of the bigger brokers in South Africa saying that they are seeing foreign buyers of equities in South Africa, which has not been the case for quite a long time. But now it seems that they're all back and they're buying and they've just snapping up South African equities as, as much as they can. And I guess that also must be creating a demand for the RAND as well. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, all right. Let's move on then to commodities. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, some of the metals and then the some soft commodities charts as well. First up is gold. Uh, South Africans love gold because of the history of it being a, a gold mining country. That gold price is is quite interesting lately, Sean. Given that you know, we've seen the the rise of geopolitical tensions, of course, and the gold price has responded favorably to what's been going on in Russia and Ukraine, uh, with quite a big move to the upside recently. But it seems to be in consolidation mode right now. So, what what are the levels that you're seeing there for the gold gold price? Yeah, so you know the gold one's interesting eh? because I mean if you think about it, you know, for you know since two thousand and eight, you know, we had the Fed trying to stimulate inflation, and you know, gold's supposed to be an inflation hedge, and there was an initial spark, and um, and then it came off, and you know, we had inflation, and it really didn't move, and it just shows you that the recent, you know, the real catalyst for gold right now is definitely safe haven uh, demand, and you know, we saw that surge and that you know the test of the highs getting close to that two thousand and seventy-five uh, dollars per ounce mark. Um, I think we are, uh, we've had, okay, so we had a bullish move, so long term, very long term. I think, you know, we're still in a very broad range with the ceiling being 2,075 and, you know, and the floor being $1,680 an ounce. Yeah. Um, the short to medium term, though, we've, the trend is up. We've had a, you know, a strong move up and we've had our first pullback from making that high. Um, you know, I think I've got about 1,910 as a key sort of level of support. I think mm. we're reversing off of, of that. I think yeah. once we, you know, we confirm above 1,960, then I start putting the, you know, 2015 and 2075 levels uh, in play. For gold. Yeah. 
From a much longer term perspective, that chart of gold is interesting. I mean, and, and when I say long term, I mean I'm talking like about a I don't know 15 or 20 year chart now. Um, it seems like there's an enormous big cup and handle pattern on the gold price chart, and if it can start getting sustainably up above two thousand dollars an ounce on a sort of a monthly closing basis, that could actually get quite interesting from a long term perspective. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So you know, for me. Um, over the last year or so, we're talking about you know range trading, trading between the levels. For now, that that short to medium term trend is you know up. So keeping a long bias onto gold, uh, where we had start changing that bias, and on my levels about you know uh, 1,875. We start trading below that, then I say okay, well, move back into consolidation, move back into this broad range, and start trading between the levels again. Uh, but for now, you know, for me, the bias is up, and, and keep looking for you know uh, long entries into into gold. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same page there. And then Brent crude oil is obviously very topical now. It's had a massive spike up about three, four weeks ago when the when the invasion, a Russian invasion into Ukraine happened. And of course, now we're seeing all kinds of sanctions on Russian oil and or anything Russian, really. Uh, and that drove the oil price up from what is it at the, before the invasion was about ninety five dollars per barrel, and it was already trending higher at that stage. But I mean, it got up to close to $140 per barrel within a week after the invasion. Uh, it's been very, very volatile since then. It's, and, and it's been back down to $100. We're currently sitting up around about $120 per barrel at the time we, we're recording this, Sean. I mean, that chart to me still looks quite bullish, but very, very volatile. And, and that volatility, I guess, is, it, it, you know, is that something that happens at market peaks, typically, do you think it's still got legs to go higher? What is your outlook for oil? Well, I think the first thing is, can we can we use do we have to use rubles or can we use rands to to, to, to buy oil? <laughs> um, <laughs> we've uh, uh, I did post a chart uh, a little while ago, and it was quite a it was, it was actually quite a perfect example of a technical phenomenon. You can see it on my Twitter handle there, where we talked about the what we call a price blowhole. Um, yeah. in technical analysis where you see you draw a trend line on the chart and you, then you draw the next trend line and it gets a little bit steeper and then you draw a third line and it's just you know very steep <laughs> you know exponentially parabolic higher. and that was exactly and that is um an indication of you know uh, capitulation in the market and you expect a short-term correction now when when you have that in the market and I, i'm never advocating against trading against the, the underlying direction the trend but if you do see something like that happen, you think, well, maybe it's, we can we could buy this at a better price and sit on your hands. And, and that is what's happened. We've had that first correction, that first normalization of that trend, but it is continuing now. Mm. So we hit that peak of just short of you know $140 a barrel. We've pulled all the way back to just below $100 a barrel. Now, like you say, we you know we're getting close to about the 120 again. So at this point in time, you know, uh, trading trading oil biases to the long side and looking keeping long trades to that. Uh, recognizing that you know, in, you know, we get overbought when we get to overbought territory. Well, maybe just sit back and waiting for those pullbacks to find entry. Um, I have a, you know, the level of resistance here for me. You know, uh, next one's about one hundred and twenty-four dollars a barrel, around about that. Um, you know, and then we start getting towards that high of one hundred and thirty-six eighty in that. Yeah. Um, so right now, I wouldn't be a buyer of oil, but I certainly wouldn't be shorting it. Yeah. Uh, we are be looking at getting long as any types of pullbacks back towards you know key levels of support. Um, you know, optimistic back to about that hundred dollars a barrel yeah. uh, mark as initial support. 
But you know, we've seen how quickly these these levels can be realized on it. Um, but you know, um, I'd even start considering the even closer to about one hundred and eight dollars a barrel, depending on how the price action gets there. Yeah. Um, I, but the point is, I, I won't be a bear on oil. Wouldn't be looking at shorting oil until a really significant correction from from the levels that we're at, um, and that's you know. And I want to say it's at least, you know, back towards about $80 a barrel. So quite a lot of leeway, uh, not long right now, but looking for long entries into pullbacks uh, from the highs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Super. And then soft commodities, um, the ETF that is kind of widely followed is in terms of a broad diversified soft commodities exposure is the DBA. That's uh, the Invesco Agricultural Fund. And um and the share code for that is DBA. I mean, that also is interesting to look at for if, if you're wanting to be exposed to soft commodities. I mean, the main constituents of this thing are corn, wheat, soya beans, uh, coffee. Those, those four make up about 45% of the weighting of this exchange-traded fund. But then when you scratch below that, you've got all sorts of other interesting things. I think there's even live cattle in there, lean hogs or whatever. Those things make up a much smaller weighting. But it's interesting to see how this this ETF has been steadily climbing since the middle of 2020, and it continues to climb. But recently, with the Russian invasion into Ukraine, we've seen a, a pretty steep rally in this in this ETF, and that's because of the the, the the exposure to wheat and corn, which is obviously those prices have gone ballistic uh, because Ukraine is a major producer of both wheat and corn, uh, and and of course. You know, going into the planting season now in Ukraine doesn't look like much is going to get planted there this year. So hence, there's likely to be quite a big shortage of wheat and quite a big shortage of corn, among other things. And we're seeing that reflected in this in this DBA exchange traded fund, Sean. Yeah, uh, I think this is this charts can be a little bit worrying at times because when you start thinking about food price inflation yeah. <laughs> and what's happening in it, and obviously, you know, we talk about oil inflation, you know, the, the price of oil, you know, major input towards inflation. We look at, uh, you know, these soft commodities, food, you know, um, I think, you know, adding to you talking about the Ukraine and the planting and that, I think uh, Russia was responsible, for, you know, 2020, the figure was 30% of global wheat production. Mm. So obviously a key driver of, of this chart. But I think if you know if any of the listeners are looking for a clear <laughs> a clear chart on trend, you you know, bring up this chart. Uh, we do offer it on the platform. I mean, you can see it, you know when the price is moving from the bottom left hand side of your page to the top right hand side of your page. That is a clear uptrend. You don't even need to add moving averages and all bells and whistles or anything like that. It's very very clear. Um, but we are testing highs at this point in time. So the way yeah. I see it is that long term trend is up. Um, again. Um, you know, there's been there was recently an opportunity, I think probably about a week or so ago, uh, for entry, um, and that's that's how I'd look at if you know from a, from a trading perspective, it's looking for pullbacks from highs uh, for long entry on that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not a chart that I like to see going up too much. The same as I don't like seeing that that uh, oil chart going up. Yeah. Well, this is the risk, right? Is that? And I mean, I've been reading some stuff this morning actually, just about how you know high food prices and and uh, and social unrest are very closely correlated. And it is a big worry because if these food prices continue to move higher as they are, then one does start to worry about, you know, things like the Arab spring that happened as a, and that was catalyzed by 
high and unaffordable food prices. So it certainly is a worry as we head out into the rest of this year if, that, uh, if, if those food prices continue to climb. Last chart, Sean, before we wrap it up, is the it's a South African favorite, of course, is the top 40. I know you guys at IG call it the SA40. Um, and it, it, it's, I think, if I'm not wrong, that's the most popular traded product on your South African platform, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know that's uh, it's a it's a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of yeah, a lot of guys are trading it. And obviously, it you know it provides the leverage and 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 the volatility for you know uh, for short term trading, which is you know the reason why we do that. Yeah, um, the yeah, so SA forty. Um, yeah, I, I think it's quite a, it's been a bit of a standout, isn't it? It's uh, outperforming. Yeah, a lot of the the global markets it is, very far away from it. So maybe the commodity, yeah. commodity prices rising, um, but that long term trend to me is still up. Uh, God, um, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think that. Uh, and you know, the notes that we do put out on the IG platform on the Tech Tuesdays, and you know, and and, and the email commentary and that, uh, we've always been, you know, actually, you know, for quite some time keeping a long bias to trades on that. And very very simply put, is you know, looking at you know, what is the trend at the moment? You know, that trend was tested very, very recently. We had a very sharp correction back towards that 200 and a simple moving average, but that level held as support and we had a sharp rebound uh, from that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm still so, for now. Yeah, about 65,000 to me looks like sort of just just roughly if I'm drawing, if I was drawing trend lines with a crayon and not a ballpoint pen, I'd say around about 65,000 looks like rock solid support on the top 40. And that was tested recently and recovered quite nicely above that, as you said. Yeah, you see, I've, I've even got, you know, in the in event of a correction or pullback from where we are right now, um, I'm actually even prepared to give it a lot more leeway, um, you know, even back down to about even about just, just below 64,000. Mm. Uh, and they find some congruence there on a daily chart with that 200-day simple, simple moving average. And, you know, just, just to reiterate what we were saying earlier on is that, you know, just because the trend is up doesn't mean we go long. Um, but yeah. certainly if the trend is clearly up and we start hitting highs in that, that's not an indication to go short. And so if we think we topish on these indices and that, rather just wait for short-term pullback and see where that, you know, the dust settles and then look to find long entry, you know, in congruence with that, that longer-term trend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating, Sean. Well, it's been excellent speaking to you. Uh, it's been an experiment for you and I to try and talk about charts <laughs> whilst listeners have to kind of listen to the levels. But as I said, we'll try and put these charts into the show notes so that uh, listeners can actually look at the charts whilst they're listening to us talk so that you can actually see visually the levels that we're talking about here. It's been good chatting to you, Sean. Uh, it's been a fun experiment to do this with you. I knew, I knew it would be. So appreciate your time. And I look forward to catching up with you again some stage in the future once again, Sean. Great, Garth. Thank you very much, man. It's been, been lots of fun. Right here. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.